Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. This week, we're bringing to you two conversations with Leah Meyerhoff, filmmaker and founder of the organization Film Fatals. We talked to her right before the world shut down, literally right before, and then touched base with her in the midst of the pandemic. Leah is an accomplished filmmaker whose previous films, shorts, and music videos have screened in over 200 film festivals, such as South by Southwest, Tribeca, and the Atlanta Film Festival, and aired on IFC, PBS, Logo, and MTV. Film Fatals is a nonprofit which advocates for parity in the film industry and supports an inclusive community of hundreds of women and non-binary feature film and television directors worldwide. Leah talks to us about how she saw a need for a space for women filmmakers to support each other and what the organization is doing now. Check out more info on how to become a member or how to support on their website, filmfatals.org. Enjoy our chat with Leah. In 2013, you founded Film Fatals, um, which advocates for gender equality within the film industry. What were some motivating factors that inspired you to start this group? I mean, I would say the creation of Film Fatals started really organically. I was about to direct my first feature-length film and was doing what a lot of filmmakers do, reaching out to others who've come before us saying, hey, can I get a coffee with you? Can I get some advice? Can I pick your brain? And some of the people who were the most generous with their time and their knowledge were other women directors. Um, you know, I cold-called Kimberly Pierce, who gave me incredible advice and said, don't wait around for permission. You need to give yourself permission. Just go make your film. I sent my script blindly to Allison Anders, a filmmaker that I'd admired since childhood. She read my script. She ended up coming on board as an executive producer. You know, just all these women filmmakers had been so wonderful and so generous. I thought, rather than having coffee individually with each one, I'm just going to throw a dinner party and invite half a dozen of them over to my house. And so that's how it started. Um, I made dinner in my living room in Brooklyn, and six women directors came over, and we talked about film. And I asked them all my questions going into making my first feature film. And then they talked about their experiences being the only woman director in the room over and over and over again. And it was so Beneficial, not just for me, but for those other six women to be in a space where they were the majority in the room, that at the end of that dinner, one of them said, this was fantastic. Let's do it again next month. I'll host it. And we did. And then next month, someone said, let's do it again. I'll host it. And it just grew and grew. And so Film Fatals really began as a grassroots community of women feature film directors in New York, supporting each other and helping each other. And this rotating dinner party structure expanded and grew and grew. And so after six months, we had a waiting list several hundred names long. Um, One of the women who came to the dinners in New York moved out to L.A., and she brought it with her, Brooke Siebold, and connected with another woman, Chaz Bennett, and they started organizing monthly dinners in L.A. And, you know, over that time, I ended up making that feature film, I Believe in Unicorns, and it premiered at South by Southwest. And while I was there, we helped start a group in Austin. And then I traveled the film festival circuit for six months, and everywhere I went, I would be talking about my 
myself and my film, but also talking about film fatales. And other women in the audience said, oh, we need this. We need this in our community. And so we started dozens of other groups around the country and around the world. Um, and it really just tapped into a need that women directors had and still have for community and women directors specifically because filmmaking is it can be quite lonely and quite isolating, right? You're you're writing alone in your room for a long time, or other than production, which is a brief window of time, you know, you're editing alone in a room. And in production, you're the only director on set, you know? So it's very rare that women directors are around each other. And so having lived this life of being siloed from each other, just having a communal space to go every month where you get to connect with one another is incredibly beneficial and empowering. So that was, you know, over five years ago. And I'll say in that time, this community has expanded and grown in ways that we never saw coming. Um, And all kinds of initiatives and different activities have formed out of these central idea of let's create a space every month for women directors to get together. And so now we've, you know, formed we're a 501c3, we have a staff, we have over a thousand members around the country, all of whom identify as women or non-binary and have directed a feature film. And it's growing and growing and growing. At the same time, the outside industry has shifted. And with Time's Up and Me Too and just the amount of media attention, you know, about gender inequality and racial inequality in film, I think there are more opportunities now for women directors, for women of color, for LGBTQ directors, for directors with disabilities. It's nowhere near, you know, 50-50 parity, but there are more opportunities, especially in the independent film space. And so Film Fatales has really shifted from being this grassroots community building initiative into now we are a space, we are an industry resource for people looking to hire women directors or program films by women or interview women directors to come find us. We've become this real like network and this resource of people looking to do the right thing and hire closer to parity. So it's been an interesting progression. Yeah. Um, I would say definitely I'm guardedly optimistic that things are changing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that we'll ever reach true parity in my lifetime, but we're a lot further off now than we were five years ago. Yeah, I kind of want to circle back to how your idea started. It's such a simple idea of just kind of like holding space for one another, but it is radical in the sense that like that space really isn't held for a lot of women directors. Um, but, and also it's fascinating. You started in 2013, which is years before really, you know, gender parity in film kind of became like a buzzword or an exciting movement. So I'm just curious if you could speak a little bit more to the changes that you've witnessed, um, both as a director and as the founder of this group. Yeah, I will say early on, we weren't even thinking on such a global scale. Early on, it was out of necessity. It was women directors who are struggling against all odds to build a career as a filmmaker, getting together and just sharing their knowledge and sharing their resources and having a space, a safe space where they can talk about their lives and their careers and their challenges. And these dinner parties every month would have a different woman hosting and she would choose a discussion topic that she wanted to explore. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. (laughs) It was a real just supportive network. And those topics would range from how do you balance being a mother and being 
being a director to how do you make a living in this industry if you don't come from money? How do you, especially if you're a documentary filmmaker, how do you keep going? Do you teach? Do you consult? Do you take another job? You know, sometimes the questions would be craft-based. It would be how do you communicate with your cinematographer? People would bring in their storyboards and their shot lists. Or how do you make a safe spot for your actors? How do you, you know, have you ever worked with an intimacy coordinator? You know, every month a different topic. And it really was these discussion circles that are the heart and the backbone of Film Fatals and still are. We're still doing these monthly discussions in a dozen cities around the country. But out of these discussions and these groups, other needs started to pop up. People started to say, you know, we really need support on the film festival circuit. Every time we send our films out to film festivals, it's so expensive to apply. And there's so few women directors at these film festivals. And what can we do to start to change this? So we started a programming initiative. And we started working with a handful of film festivals that I had known from my feature playing these film festivals. And now we're working with over 300 film festivals looking to program their festivals closer to parody. So it starts small. It starts with one person in the group saying, this is something that I think we need as a community, as a collective. What can we do to achieve it? And then someone else will volunteer, and then a few more people will volunteer, and just organically things form. And some things survive and some things don't. You know, we've done things like filmmakers wanting to fill the seats opening weekend when they have a theatrical release. So for years, we had groups coming to opening night of the theater and just buying up you know, as many tickets as they could and having a big field trip to opening night of someone's film. Um, we've seen people say, hey, we really need agents and managers. These agents aren't representing women directors, especially women of color, especially LGBTQ women. What can we do to get in front of them? So we would throw mixers and receptions of inviting 50 agents from an agency and 50 women directors from Film Fatals and do these kind of speed dating situations. Or, you know, someone else might say, we need to learn about funding. It's not enough for us filmmakers sitting around talking about how do we apply for grants. We need some outside industry advice. And we'd put together a panel and bring five grant organizations to talk about funding. And so, you know, all these things start from let's create a space, like you said, for women directors to share their challenges and their opportunities. And out of that, much more formal infrastructure has formed, but always going back to what are the needs of the community? What are the needs of the filmmakers? Yeah, I think that's great, because I think sometimes within uh, quote unquote movement, it can get a little abstract sometimes and a lot of talking about how to change things. And I, what I appreciate about what you're saying is that it seems very concrete and coming from the filmmakers' needs. Absolutely. We are very much doers rather than talkers. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, we've just kind of been under the radar just doing the work year yeah. after year, month after month. Like, yeah. let's get together in these small groups. And the way that it functions and the way that it's sustainable is it's this real horizontal model of these small groups. And anytime a group gets too big, we subdivide it. So it's always these small discussion circles, 20 or 30 women at a time. In some places, even less. You know, we've got groups in New Orleans. Sometimes there's only five women who show up every month, or in Chicago, or in Minneapolis, or in Boston, um, in other regions outside of New York and LA, or Toronto, or San Francisco, these small pockets. I mean, we had groups in Costa Rica. And in Costa Rica, they don't have a women's movement. There's no feminism. They don't have a film industry like they they're so far behind the United States and yet these 10 women we get together and drive from all over the country to meet up every month you know and it can really lead to real change you need that in-person 
community. You need people to really know each other. So it's not just a cocktail or a networking mixer, but you're actually like in someone's living room having dinner with them or going to their movie and building real lasting relationships to affect lasting change. And from that, we've seen, you know, writing groups form and a mom's group form and feedback, you know, work in progress screenings. And all these things are all coming out of the community saying, what do we want and what can we do? What can we give to each other? There's this ritual that we do at the end of each discussion circle, end of each dinner party, where we all sit in a circle and we go around and everyone says their name and their project at the beginning of the dinner and we have a conversation for an hour. And then at the end, we do something called asks and gives. And you go around and everyone either asks for something from the group or offers to give something. And that can be, you know, really esoteric, like I'm just looking for support as I'm raising money. (laughs) Or it can be very concrete and specific, like I'm looking for a new entertainment lawyer or I need to hire an editor. Can you make a recommendation? And those concrete asks are the ones that get solved immediately. And you put 30 women directors in a room, there's very few problems they can't solve. And I think that mentality of here's a community of women supporting each other rather than competing with each other, you take that and you can scale it up. And that's what Film Fatals is about. And I think talking to the shifts I've seen just personally as a filmmaker, I will say I have seen a really positive shift from a competitive environment to a more collaborative one over the last five, ten years. Um, And I think that's, it's really shifting from the ground up. I I don't think it's because there's so many more opportunities now. I think it's that these women directors are realizing, hey, this is to our advantage if we collaborate with each other rather than compete, whereas previous generations didn't have that opportunity. I think there were so few spots for a woman director Almost always it would go to the wealthy, straight, white women directors um, who already were privileged, who were the girlfriends of or the daughters of, you know, Sofia Coppola or Catherine Bigelow or whatever. People already inside Hollywood would take up those spots. There were really no opportunities for just your average woman director, especially women of color, LGBTQ women, um, that it bred this competitive energy of feeling like, oh, there's only one spot at Sundance, or there's only one spot for this grant. And that type of tokenism that comes out of scarcity, I think, is really dangerous and insidious and harmful to to everyone, really. And I think that is starting to shift. Uh, women are starting to realize, especially now that some women are moving up and they're becoming gatekeepers themselves. They're becoming showrunners. They're becoming producers. They're um, in positions to hire other women. You're, re- you're reaching this level where women have been like fighting to get into this room for so long. They finally get in there, and there is more space for them to reach out and pull another woman in and have her sit at that table with them in a way that there hadn't been before. That's there's still a very, very, very long way to go until we're actually at 50-50. It still is the majority of opportunities are still going to a very narrow pool of already privileged women. Um, so I say I'm guardedly optimistic. Like I don't think it's going to be change overnight, but there's been a lot of talk about the need for change, and now I'm just holding my breath waiting to really see how much action is going to come of it. Yeah, I'm really struck by the generosity, it feels like, with um the woman and, and the group and yeah and how you can give to others and and how that 
really kind of keeps everyone going. And I think that generosity and spirit comes out of this initial structure of these small groups of women who know each other in real life. And there's a personal connection there. And it's generosity, but people are also getting something back from it. So people are giving. People will say, oh, yeah, you can come shadow me. I'm a TV director. Come shadow me. But in exchange, I really would love advice on how to get funding for your first feature. I've always wanted to direct a narrative feature, and I never have. Like, it's it's an ask and a give. So it's not just giving, because I think that's not sustainable either. Um, But finding that balance of what can we do to support each other? What do I need? And what can I give? And people have seen that it succeeds, that the more you put into this community, the more you get back. What's been the most surprising thing you've learned or discovered um, with Film Fatales? Hmm. The thing that kind of maybe was unexpected, I guess, um, or something that came out of it that you're like, well, I didn't see that one coming. I mean, to be honest, the entire creation of Film Fatal surprised me. It was not my intention to start <laughs> a nonprofit organization or a social I movement. I can imagine. You're it like, really I'm just was, trying I to just do dinner party. I just a dinner party and trying to make a movie. And then I quickly realized, oh, there's a need here. And, yeah. and all of the same reasons that I wanted to be a filmmaker in the first place, which was to see representation of myself on screen, which is coming from a selfish place, right? Like, I'm growing up this lonely you know, awkward girl in the Bay Area sneaking into the art house theaters looking for those glimpses of girls on screen that reflected some element of my life. And they were so rare. I mean, Boys Don't Cry is one of them, but there's so few examples where I would see female characters on screen that felt real and authentic that I became a filmmaker to create those stories, right? No one else was doing it, so I'm going to do it. That same ethos really applies to Film Fatales is I realize, hey, there isn't a community for women directors. Like, as I'm leaving film school, where is the community? Where are the other women? I'm going to create it. And then it became, oh, I can do so much more good in volunteering my time towards this community of hundreds of women directors than I could just making my own individual films every once in a while. You know, but it's that same that same mentality of how do we change culture? Um, we need to see more balanced representation on screen of characters. How do we do that? We need more balance behind the camera. If 99% of our stories are told by straight white men, we need to shift that. We need more stories by women and filmmakers of color, and then organically we'll see more stories about those characters on screen. That'll shift how we think about each other, about ourselves. You know, that type of global cultural shift only comes about when you're working at a large scale. Sure. And yeah. I do think it's not to, I, I do think it's equally important for some women directors to just be making their films and that in in the act of making their own films that is a political act that is a radical act. But I also think it's important for larger communities to form and us to support each other and support the creation of a lot larger stories than just our own and that's something that has surprised me through the through the growth of Film Fatals, just because I never would have predicted it. But now, in retrospect, in hindsight, it all makes sense. It's all, you know, part and parcel of the same ethos of how do we shift the culture? We need to shift the culture through media. Media has such an incredible power. Storytelling, you know, goes back to sitting around a campfire telling stories. Like, this is how we think about each other and about the world. And film, in particular, as an art form, You know, cinema is this tool for empathy. It's this opportunity for an audience to sit in a dark theater or in front of their, you know, screen in a dark room and for an hour and a half watch someone else's story unfold from another perspective outside their own. That 
is a beautiful thing. And that allows for an audience member to connect with a character they might not otherwise ever think about. But when the majority of those characters on screen are white guys, we're not really shifting culture. We're not shifting consciousness. It's not until we see half the characters on screen be women, 40% be people of color, you know, and more that will actually start to build empathy amongst the audience that needs it most. And I think, you know, Film Fatales is very focused on a community of women, especially women of color, LGBTQ women, you know, marginalized voices coming together and supporting each other. But I don't want to leave the guys out of this conversation because I think male allies are really important and key to this shift as well. And those... Guys in the audience, you know, there's an opportunity for them as well. Like, it's been easy for them watching films their entire lives and being able to easily relate to the characters on screen to see a reflection of themselves. When they start to see stories of people who don't look like them and told by people who don't look like them, that expands their horizons and allows for additional empathy on their part as well. Like, I think it's beneficial to all of us to have more diversity on screen. I'm curious, kind of speaking to what you were just saying, like, how's your directing been influenced by, by this organization? My filmmaking has been influenced by Film Fatals and that I am now almost exclusively making films with female leads, female driven stories, and being much more mindful about all forms of representation on screen. Um, if there's a story I'm telling, you know, why am I choosing the perspective to tell it in? Who is that protagonist? Are they reflective of the culture in which we live? The types of projects that I choose to produce. Um, the past two years, I've produced films all directed by women, majority women of color, with entirely female crews. That's something I don't think I would have done on my own without having been part of the growth and expansion of Film Fatals. I, I wouldn't have thought of it. I would have thought, oh, maybe I should hire a female cinematographer. I wouldn't have purposefully thought, I'm going to do the outreach to find 100% female crew. You know, that does take extra work, and I think it pays off um, because those crew members have fewer opportunities. Therefore, when you do hire them, they work five times harder. You know, it's a good business move right. to hire women. Um, I think the other thing that shifted with my own filmmaking is the types of stories that I want to tell and also the language for how to tell those stories. I mean, this, this could be a, its own podcast yeah. into itself, but I think there's something to be said for expanding the way that we think about storytelling and that we think about filmmaking. Because traditionally, the model and the type of filmmaking that I learned in school was a very hierarchical model. It's you have a director who's on the top, who's ordering around all these other people. And you know each crew member has their team who works beneath them. And it's this hierarchy. And it's this very militaristic language. Like you shoot a film, you cut you know, your film when you're editing, you know, it's kind of this like very violent, um, kind of masculine, for lack of a better word, way of filmmaking with long hours. You're not thinking about, you know, parents or caretakers or anything like that. And I think the entire structure of filmmaking, the language of filmmaking, it doesn't have to be that way just because it has been historically. So being surrounded by this community of other women filmmakers has made me rethink the entire apparatus of storytelling and those semiotics, the way that we tell stories and the way that we make films, both in production, from having shorter working days to more family-friendly sets, to 
the actual language of the film we end up seeing on screen. Maybe it doesn't need to be so linear. Maybe there doesn't need to be this protagonist and antagonist and this very traditional structure. That's one way of telling stories when actually there's a lot of other ways that are just as interesting and just as viable. Interesting. <laughs> what is your, what's your vision for the future of Film Fatales? So my vision for the future of Film Fatales is for us to be a sustainable organization that continues to build community amongst marginalized voices, but also expands the work we've been doing this past year of really being a resource for other organizations and companies looking to hire closer to parity. That shift that we've seen recently is something I want to double down on and expand like tenfold. I think now that there is a heightened consciousness and there are production companies out there who want to hire women and there are commercial you know, advertising agencies out there who want to hire women of color and there are film festivals out there who want to program more films by queer filmmakers. Now that there are all of these other folks saying, hey, you know, we want to do better, I'd like Film Fatals to be that answer for them, to be a resource where people can reach out to us and say, I have a job for a woman director, can you recommend someone? Um, and we've started to find ourselves in that space, almost like a management company for all these women directors, and I'd like to really lean into that because it is immensely satisfying to help both women directors find work, find audiences for their films, but also to help those film festivals and those studios and those networks diversify their lineup to expand their pipeline. So that's my, my goal for the future. I love that. Yeah. Um, and if someone wants to become a member, how would they do so? And similarly, like if someone wanted to support um, how would they do that? Yeah, so everyone who's interested in learning more about Film Fatals can find us online at filmfatals.org and on social media, which is at filmfatals.org on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all the rest. Um, to join, there's an application page on our website. And to support, there's a donate button. So, yeah, filmfatals.org. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yes, thanks for chatting with us, Leah. And here's our catch-up conversation with Leah. We've since attended many of the webinars that she mentions in this segment, and they're great. You should totally check them out. Sign up for their mailing list on their website, filmfatals.org, to find out more. We kind of chatted right before everything went down, so just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the current situation. So wondering how you've seen your work and the work of others in Film Fatals affected by COVID-19. If you could speak to that. Yeah, so I think we are obviously in a very unusual, interesting, unprecedented time. Um, I think once the world shifted, a lot of indie filmmakers, myself included, had a real moment of reflection of what is important in this world. Is filmmaking an essential service? Um, so many people are sick and are suffering and are hungry and it really kind of put a perspective of what is the role of filmmakers during these times of crisis um, and of artists and you know speaking from a personal level um, I feel very privileged and very lucky to be in a position where I'm able to continue working because I was in development on a few projects um, writing uh, on this Warner Brothers show and on this other indie um, adaptation. So I've been able to continue my creative writing work during this time. But so many friends and colleagues in production just suddenly come crashing to a halt. 
um, you know, within the Film Fatals community, we've been doing weekly community meetings every Friday for the past few months since COVID hit um, with a variety of different discussion topics. And in the beginning, usually around 100 women filmmakers are joining every time. And in the beginning, I think there was a deep sense of shock and fear and also guilt um, and just an overwhelming wave of emotions. Um, about 80% of our community is unemployed. So there's a lot of freelancers out of work trying to navigate unemployment benefits and PPE loans and all the kind of bureaucracy of just how to pay your rent, how to pay your mortgage, how to keep living. I will say a lot of women filmmakers in our community are also parents who, myself included, um, who are now grappling with homeschooling. Um, and all of a sudden working several jobs from home or it's not even working from home. It's now we are all sheltering in place at home trying to get some work done sometimes, right? So I think there's just been a real perspective shift um, on priorities and on time management and on our own health and safety and people feeling gratitude, those who are still healthy and are safe. Um, you know, I think I have a unique perspective being part of Film Fatals because not only have we had these weekly webinars that are international in scope, so it's filmmakers joining from all over the world, um, but we also have separate monthly Zoom meetings that are regional. And I've been joining some of those as well. And the situation in New York is very different than the situation in San Francisco or the situation in Toronto. Um, you know, I think New Yorkers have been hit the hardest. Um, the New York Film Fatals meetings, there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness. A lot of people have lost people, um, lost loved ones. And those who have stayed in the city, um, I think, are experiencing just a real, you know, dystopian landscape of ambulance sirens and... Um, fear, you know, this pervasive sense of unease and fear. Um, you know, the group out in San Francisco hasn't been as hard hit. A lot of them are still working. A lot of them are professors and teachers, and they're just trying to navigate, you know, how to get their films made and seen. Um, a lot of filmmakers on the film festival circuit are afraid to continue to show their films virtually because it hurts their distribution prospects. So we've had a lot of conversations about what does distribution look like. Um, on the flip side, you know, I produced or I was part of a production of a film that was premiering at South by Southwest and another one that premiered at Cinequest both in March. South by Southwest canceled and Cinequest canceled halfway through. Both of those filmmakers trying to navigate what to do now, what are the next steps. Um, one of those filmmakers, Charlie Bueller, uh, she decided she sold her film and it's going to be released uh, this summer, most likely virtually. The other one, Iram Parveen Balal, is still trying to figure out what's the best steps, next steps for her after South by was canceled. So there's definitely like that perspective. Um, so there's a lot of different perspectives. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is that filmmaking is an essential service and that storytellers are vital community in particularly in particular is needed and is necessary and needs to continue and i am very scared that we are going to come out of this having lost a lot of the progress that has been made these past few years what we were talking about on our last conversation um, how there have been inroads made for women for people of color for queer folks in the last three, you know, three, four years, um, a lot of that I think is being rolled back and I'm scared. I think during times of crisis, the powerful tend to consolidate their power and the most marginalized amongst us 
end up getting stepped on and looked over. And I think, you know, right now I'm part of a lot of conversations around production protocols and how to safely return to set. And that conversation is very different when it's Steven Soderbergh talking in his group in the DGA about, you know, big budget studio films. And sure, they have the budgets to do mandatory daily testing and biodoming and quarantining and all of these things. But what about the small indie filmmakers who can barely even pay their rent right now and are probably going to give up filmmaking? Um, Or those moms who are like, okay, now I'm homeschooling a toddler and my film is taking the back burner. You know, a lot of folks are going to drop out of the film industry. What about smaller documentary productions that don't have the budget or the resources to be testing their cat, their crew, let alone the communities that they're filming in? Like, what is the ethics of being in production right now when you might be an asymptomatic carrier infecting people that you're hoping to interview or to shoot? So all of those conversations are kind of percolating to the surface. Um, there have been a few, you know, interesting stories of filmmakers who are continuing production during this time in a remote way. We're actually doing a webinar tomorrow about this with Don Porter, who's continuing to shoot remotely um, with four members of Film Fatales, four documentary filmmakers and how they're navigating production. And we did one a few weeks back on the narrative side, on the scripted side, um, with a woman, Rama Mosley and Hanali Culpepper. And Rama, you know, had just completed a big commercial shoot where she shipped iPhones to her subjects and then was communicating with them over blue jeans, over an app and got her shoot done. Um, without having to leave her house. So I think you're seeing a lot of creative solutions to very real problems. Um, And I think a lot of people are just kind of, you know, shuffling in place, kind of hoping that this will end. And now people are realizing that this might be a real game changer, a real shift in the arts and in the way that we make films and the way that we consume films moving forward, you know, and I am a pathological optimist. So I try and find the silver lining in everything. And, you know, it's been hard during this time. But I think, yes, this is a massive shift in, you know, our global perspective of, of our culture, and of, of what it means to be human. Um, and yet, and, I, and again, I'm very scared that, you know, the Netflixes and the Amazons and all the big players are going to come out relatively unscathed and the smaller indie distributors, the smaller arts organizations, the smaller production companies are going to go under. A lot of small businesses are are crumbling. Um, That is terrifying. At the same time, I hope that there is some good to come out of this. This is an opportunity to change things and to build a future more in the way that we want to see it, you know, and to that end, I'm looking more on the distribution side. Um, I am uplifted by a lot of these new virtual cinema releases that are happening. Um, We have about a dozen members of Film Fatals who have feature films that were supposed to be in theaters. And, you know, obviously theaters are closed for the indefinite future and they are doing virtual cinema releases. So, you know, there's Eliza Hittman who won an award at Sundance this year. There's Clementine by Laura Gallagher. There's The Infiltrators. Um, There's a new one at Alamo called Kate Nash, uh, a new documentary that just came out. So there's a lot of folks who are now releasing their films through these virtual cinema partnerships where there's a revenue share with the independent theater or in some cases with Film Fatals as an organization. So distributors are sharing 50% of the rental costs with other organizations, with nonprofits, with theaters. You know, Paloma Basu did a release called Other Music and they partnered with hundreds of independent record stores across the country to split the revenue from the rental of her documentary because record stores are closing. So I think, you know, there's some potential there for films to reach 
new audiences and wider audiences and be more inclusive than they might have in the past, where it was a very niche group that would go to these small art house cinema releases or that could afford to go to the film festival. So I think there's, you know, maybe some good will come out of all of this chaos. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's a very, it's a very scary time to just to be a person in this world and uh, to be working in the arts, which does not have job security, doesn't have the health insurance and childcare and all those things, you know, I think people are starting to really kind of question their priorities. That was a long rambling answer. I do that. I'm so sorry. Wow. Um, I feel like you answered all of our questions and just so much more. You've just thought about so much. Uh, yeah. So many things. Wow. That was, thank you for that. I guess one, one like just technical question is for our listeners, how can they, um, are these webinars that you're talking about available um, for our listeners? Where can they find them? Yeah, so all of our webinars are open to the public. Um, we have yet to put them on our website. We need to do that. The best way for listeners to participate in these weekly webinars is to sign up for our mailing list, which they can do at filmfatals.org. And then we send out invites every week Wonderful. to participate. Um, they have historically been always Friday, 2 p.m. Pacific time for an hour and a half. And, you know, the discussion topics have really varied. They started off with a real focus on women and non-binary feature film directors, since that's what the film fatals community, you know, that's our backbone, but it has really expanded. And now these conversations are running the gamut. So, um, you know, the one I mentioned tomorrow is around documentary production during a pandemic and the ethics of continuing to film and what that looks like, as well as the importance of it, right? We need a marginalized voices to be telling these stories. I don't want to come out of this and only see the big budget Hollywood version of coronavirus. Like, I want to know what does it look like for homeless communities? What does it look like for people of color? What does it look like for queer spaces, right? So we need these storytellers to keep working, but we also need them to do so safely. So what are these safety protocols? So after, you know, tomorrow is specific to the documentary community. Next Friday, we're doing a larger webinar in partnership with Sundance and the National Endowment for the Arts. That'll have a, a wider audience. Um, also around these ideas of production protocols and safety. We have another one about pitching, uh, totally different, which is like a creative, uh, which is just like how we're talking with the several of our members who've successfully sold their films and how to pitch, right? So we, we mix it up. It's not all like doom and gloom. It's also like how to be creative. You know, we did a lovely one with Seed and Spark that was like virtual distribution. Um, we're doing, you know, one with this life coach. It's just like how to, how to stay positive. So it's a mix, um, practical tools as well as bigger picture conversations. Um, what does, what does distribution look like in this landscape? What does production look like in this landscape? Parenting, we have a separate parenting group, like how do you parent and also try to work? You know, that's a, that's a whole new challenge that so many people are grappling with. And I like to think of it that, you know, COVID has really kind of shown the world how much unpaid labor women are doing and that we take for granted, whether it's your school teacher, whether it's nurses, whether it's your babysitter, whether it's moms, you know, there's so much unappreciated labor that people have been doing for so long that isn't respected in our capitalist system where it's, you know, not paid the value it deserves. And now everyone is realizing that in such an obvious way, everyone trying to work from home and, you know, figuring out how to get groceries and all of these things. Definitely. Yeah. 
Well, what I remember so much from our last conversation was just how much um, support and community you provide for women filmmakers. And it's really cool to see that you translate it, it seems like, to the online space. So, yay. Again, I'm hope I'm hopeful that we'll come out of this in a better place as a, as a society. Um, and I see it working in other countries. Again, I, this, the Australian film Fatals, I'm just like, please, can I move to Sydney? Because in Australia, you guys are amazing. And New Zealand, even up in Canada, like I listen in on their meetings and they're like, yes, yeah, so our government benefits are going to last us through November. And then I guess we'll have to start thinking about working. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. So, you know, other places, you know, this country is experiencing this virus in a very unique way uh, that's bringing to the forefront a lot of things that were broken about our society and about our culture. And it's up to us to fix it. No one's going to come save us, you know. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 